Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you would turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible basically halfway, you probably will open to either the Psalm or the Proverbs. And from there, it's just a little bit to the right. If you open to like a major prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah, you're going to have to go left a little bit. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. Uh, I wanted to open our our uh, study this morning with a pretty pointed question, and I'll get right to it. What would you do if someone that you trusted, like a doctor or a friend, uh, somebody that you trusted, told told you that you only had six months to live? That's a that's a heavy question, right? What if somebody told you you only had six months to live? What would you do? For many of us, that is a loaded question, and our responses would range from, well, I would quit my job and travel the world, or I would quit shaving and stop worrying about calories. Some of us uh, would quit shaving here. Some of the ladies would quit shaving here. You know, they're like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to have hairy legs. Um, Another response that we might have is, I would do anything I could to make sure my family is taken care of, a little Breaking Bad situation. Or I would quit hesitating, a a young man might say, I would quit hesitating and finally ask Pollyanna to marry me, by golly, Um, whatever it is. Or we might approach it from the spiritual side of things because we are physical and spiritual. And we might come and we might say, well, I would pray so much more. Or I would spend hours in worship and devotion realizing that I am heading towards heaven. Or I would share the gospel with everybody I met. I mean, doesn't that kind of ring out in our hearts? Is like, hey, I have to tell people the good news that I've been given as a believer. I need to make sure that every single person that I know hears the gospel before I go. Well, it's, it's a, that's a deep question. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Now, my hope and our hope as Christians is that if you were told that you only had a blank amount of time left to live, that not much would change in your life. That we're living today the way that we would if we knew that we were going to die in six months or, or God was going to come back for us in the next four months or two days or whatever it is. And so that's what I feel like the Lord is leading us to talk about today, time. Of course, it's kind of ironic because when I started praying about this, I had no, I, I, I didn't realize it would going to be daylight savings time and, and, uh, and we are still kind of mourning the loss of that extra hour of sleep. Um, I, I heard from a couple different people, like, I forgot that the clock's changed. And, you know, for us, it's like 363 days a year, we don't change the clocks, and two other days we do. So do you guys realize that time is something that uh, we can all relate to? Everybody experiences it. And... For me, I used to work in sales, and you always have to be able to talk to strangers at any moment because you're always trying to introduce your somebody to somebody new, yourself to somebody new. And there's always two things that you can talk to any single person about because these two things, everyone experiences them. The weather 
and time. The weather, of course, is like, well, it's hot one today. Yeah, it sure is, but it's going to be freezing tomorrow. That's Lubbock for you. But wait, the wind's always blowing. Just wait three minutes. It's going to change. You know, and that's really how we relate because it's the weather. We, we're all affected by it. We're, we're cold and we're hot and some of us are hot and cold at the same time. And then some of us are cold for five seconds. And then it's just, you know, my mom calls them power surges in her life. And, you know, whatever it is, We can always talk about the weather, but we can also talk about time pretty easily. Let me say one word that you guys are all going to resonate with, Mondays. Uh, um, You know, of course, I feel like Garfield. I hate Mondays. And then um, we've got this one, which is my favorite. you got Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what day it is? Hump day. And, uh, of course, we have to thank Geico for their amazing uh, commercial bringing Wednesdays back into the fold. And I say hashtag Wednesday night services, hashtag love people in the book of Jonah if you're coming on Wednesday nights, and then also hashtag fear student ministries if you're in part of the youth group because that's when we meet. And then here's somebody's favorite word of the week. Friday, y'all, because for Friday, it like brings hope. Some people just smile when you say it. Try it. Say Friday without, or Friday without smiling. Friday. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Three people. No. Um, Friday. Friday is the hope of the weekend. It's the hope of being off work. And some of us are like, I work on the weekend. I understand that. But whatever it is, we can always relate to somebody with time. There's even country songs about time. There's one that says it's five o'clock somewhere. And I don't even know what that means, but um, no, okay. You get two country song references during this message, and that's a terrible one. So we got it out of the way. But seriously, guys, I, it's so funny. I, I don't base any of my teachings off of, off of a TV show, but I wanted to share this. I didn't share it first service. I was watching a show called No Tomorrow, and I just pulled it up on Netflix. I had no idea what it was. But it's this guy, uh, or it's the main character is a girl who's very straight-laced. She's very list-oriented. She has a purpose. She has a goal for everything she wants to do until she meets this guy who's wacky. And she just thinks, he is so different than I am. I have to get to know him. And so through weird set of circumstances, of course, it's a, it's a TV show. She ends up meeting him. And they hang out, and they start having fun. And he's like, She's like, you just live life on the edge. Will you do whatever you want? And he's like, yeah, I have to. I only have eight months to live. In fact, we all do. And she goes, what? And what he believes is that an asteroid is coming to Earth, and it's going to obliterate the Earth, like hashtag Armageddon style, if you remember that movie from like 1998. And so the whole premise of the show follows him living on this radical belief that the earth is going to be demolished in eight months. And what he does is how he wants to live life to the fullest. He's got what he calls his apocalypse, and he wants to check off all these things that he can do in his life uh, before the world expires. And and no, I'm not telling you that the world's ending in eight months because Pastor Ben would come back from Israel and be like, what did you do? Uh, but the truth is, we don't know how much time we have. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We're not granted anything. And so as we study this morning, we want to get God's perspective on time and pull from the experience that he had given to King Solomon. And so before we jump into our text, I want to give you three truths about time if you're taking note. 
And, and let me say this first, because I was telling this to the youth group this week, that when we come to church, we always pray for con- the conviction of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God to, to change our lives. Never condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. No one's here judging us. And so I was thinking of the, of the context of our teaching this week, and I don't want anybody to feel like, man, they're just judging me here in this place. Because when you guys come in, I pray that you know no one's judging anyone because we're all equal. The, the, the foot, the ground at the foot of the cross is all equal. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace and there's no condemnation. In fact, we just pray for conviction that as God convicts us of sin and as he's sanctifying us, that's his business. He's in the business of sanctifying us and building us up. He's not shaming us into forced behavioral modification and that's what he wants to do is to change us from the inside out. And so we pray that, that from these teachings that come from this pulpit, there's a spirit of encouragement and undergirding that God will carry you on the truth of the teaching all the way until the next the next message that the word that is preached in power from this pulpit would come out like a super protein super powerful protein bar that gives you energy until the next service and so that's why we always say that if your Sunday doesn't change your Monday then you have to change your Sunday because when you're coming to church, it should be impacting your life. It should be changing the way that you act towards your coworkers or towards your family, how you love one another, how you treat one another, how you live. And part of that is the truth that's coming from here, but it's also part of what you put into it. So all that to say, guys, come, come to church expecting to be encouraged. Come to church ready to find God and to hear his voice. Because he wants to speak to you, and, and I know God has something for each of us here today. So, three truths about time. Truth number one, here is a tough one. We all have the same amount. Truth number one about time, we all have the same amount. Jim's used this saying for motivation, and it's true because it says we all have the same 24 hours. And I know we all have different things that pull on our time. Some of you guys are saying, I'm a single mom. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have five million toddlers. I have, um, I have three jobs just to keep ends, just to make ends meet. Whatever it is, the truth is, all of us have the same amount of time. Truth number two, we make time for what we truly want. That's where it starts to cut deeper. Because when you're like, hey, did you spend time in devotion this week? And you're like, no, I didn't have time. The truth is, we make time for what we truly want. And so whether it's exercise or whether it's spending more time with our spouse or our kids, whether it's studying God's word, word more or whether it's going to church, uh, we're going to use the time the way that we, we want to. And of course, there's jobs and there's things like that. But we have to realize that that we are the ones that set our schedule. And then truth number three is that our time is limited. Our time is limited. You know, there's no time machines out there. Trust me, Napoleon Dynamite looked into it for us, and he's still limping, if you remember that scene where he found the time machine. Uh, Michael J. Fox and the DeLorean, that doesn't exist. That's fantasy. And as much as um, I would love to in my over t- over-the-top imagination-filled brain, uh, I would love to go back and be able to invest in Apple like Forrest Gump did and, and come back to the future and start to dive into my riches like Scrooge McDuck. It ain't just going to happen because here's the deal. We all get 
one admission ticket in this ride called life. And that's it. We all get one turnaround, and this is the only thing we get. And so it's a sobering thought because this is your life. This is it. And I wanted to give you a side note. This is for free, as Pastor Ben says. This life is too short to be miserable. If you don't like your job, if you don't like where you live, it's not too late to change. I found this quote from Steve Jobs while researching this message. He said, for the past 33 years, I have looked into the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Guys, life is too short to be miserable. And you're kind of the captain of your own ship. Hopefully God is, you know, God, like, God is your pilot. You're, you're following the directions that he's giving you. But if you're like, man, I, I don't like this, this job. I, I know people that have started their careers over and I, I commend them because that's all we get. Looking at it back from a biblical side, Moses beautifully expressed the sentiment in Psalm 90, verse 12, where he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses was looking back on their time in the wilderness. He was looking back at at the time where the children of Israel had gone right to the edge of the promised land and they'd rejected God's promise. And God said, for 40 years, you're going to wander. And everyone that's the age 20 and older is going to pass away. And so Moses had to lead the children of Israel for 40 years while every single person who was older than 20 years who rejected God's promised land died off until the next generation had come up that was going to receive that promise. But what Moses realized is that we have to have an understanding that the number of our days are limited, that we have to have a heart of wisdom towards the number of our days. C.T. Studd famously said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Both James and Peter in the New Testament refer to the brevity of life like a passage of time. James calls a life of vapor. It's like when it's really cold outside and you're outside and you're wanting to act like Darth Vader, and you can see your your breath. The, The one breath that comes out, the vapor, and it dissipates. That's what James uh, equates life to. Or Peter says we're like, like the grass that springs up and is green and then withers away. For me, sharing my story, I turned 35 last year. So to some of you, I'm, I'm a young whippersnapper. But to others, I might be so old, like crusty. And, uh, but as I've looked at this life and the time that God has given us, let's just say the average age of an adult is 70 years old. And so barring any health things and any accidents, any craziness that could happen, you know what's so wild? I'm on the back nine of my 18 uh, uh, round holes of golf. I mean, 35, that's 70 divided by two is 35, so I'm already over that. I'm on the downslope. 
And so my heart is not to depress anyone today, like you're saying we're all old and we're going to die. That's not it at all. In fact, it's just the opposite, because while we're spiritually going to break down, physically, I pray that we, as we get closer to our finish line, we pick up speed and finish this thing called life stronger than ever, that as we utilize the days and the weeks and the months and the years and the decades, whatever we have left, that we would literally become like a snowball rolling downhill gaining size and speed as we go spiritually because of the growth that we have through Jesus Christ and the understanding that we have that time is precious. That time is precious. I I didn't share this first service either, but you guys know that it was in 2001 that I finished Bible college and at the age of... uh, 20. And in 2001, I was, man, wet behind the ears. I guess that's an expression, isn't it? And I didn't know what I was doing, but through the leading of God, I got to go to this church called Calvary Chapel Rio Rancho, and I was just geeking out to be there and and uh, started leading worship for the, the high school uh, ministry, and I was running a skate park, and I was like, this is radical. And we still could use words like that because it was it was hip. Um, and uh, I thought that that was like going to be so awesome in my life. I had forever. And so two years went by working at that church, and I met a friend named Ben who said, I'm going to move to church and start, start a ch- I'm going to move to Texas and start a church there in Lubbock. And I laughed at him, and I was like, peace, you know. And uh, he's like, but I want you to pray about coming with me. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and so uh, I started to pray, and I really felt like God was tying our hearts together. And then in 2003, you know what the craziest thing is? When I moved to Lubbock, I was like 23 years old, you know, 22 or 23 years old. And I'm thinking, we got our whole lives ahead of us. You know what happened? I blinked, and now here we are. We're 30, I'm 35. It's been 13 years almost. That's how crazy life is. That's how crazy time is. And, you know, it's just, it goes by so fast and we don't want to squander it. And, and we're going to receive some encouragement today from Ecclesiastes 12 about time and about life. So if you've already made your way there, let me tell you, let me talk to you about the author. It's a guy named Solomon. Uh, if you remember or don't, I'm going to tell you anyway, he was the wisest man to ever live. The wisest, richest, uh, basically most experienced man to ever live. And, and he was the king of Israel at the height of its golden age. The nation had thrived after David had finally gotten the throne away from King Solomon, the first king. And when David came into power, he established a unity between the nations of Israel and Judah. And then he brought about a great time of prosperity because he had some awesome military conquests that were driving the enemies of Israel out. In fact, it was during David and Solomon's time that Israel had um, their most successful uh, campaigns where they had the most land mass or the most land ownership. And so Solomon wasn't just the wisest man who ever lived because he read the internet. No, uh, and I think if he read all the internet now, he'd be a little bit dumber. But no, it was because it was a gift from God. 
Uh, the story goes that when he was crowned king, he came and he, he had this amazing worship service before the Lord. And, and this is such a neat um, just byproduct is that worshiping God creates encounters with him. And so as Solomon had, had had this awesome worship service, that night he went to sleep and God visited him in a dream. And God says, listen, you're going to be the next king of Israel. I want to give you a gift. What would you like? And, and the Bible says that Solomon, in his humility, admitted to God, he says, I'm a child. I don't even know how to go in and go outside of my own doors. How much do I know about running a kingdom? And what Solomon asked in the book of 1 Kings is he says, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may be able to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great, pe- this great people of yours? You know what the Lord did? The Lord said, that is the best request you could have ever asked for. You didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for riches for yourself. And you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you wiser than anyone who's ever lived. And I'm going to make you wiser than anyone who will ever live after you. I'm going to give you wisdom and an understanding heart. And so Solomon we find out from historical records and we find out from the Bible that he literally was like Da Vinci and Steve Jobs and Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein and Tony Stark all rolled into one, brilliant and wise. And no, he did not become Iron Man because that technology wasn't available at that time. But Solomon had the privilege of building the temple to the Lord. And it wasn't like he skimmed. He wasn't like, well, let's use the two by fours of particle board. No, he was like, cover that in gold. He was like blinging the Lord's temple out because he was the wealthiest king to ever live. And everything he did, he did in abundance. Everything he did, he did to the fullest because that's who he was. That's how he lived. And, uh, and who could forget the story of the two women that came before him and they were seeking his judgment? If you remember this story, there was two ladies that had very young infants. And it's a tragic story because at the, in the night, one of the women who had been sleeping next to their infant ended up rolling onto him and smothering him. And so the woman, when she woke up, discovering what she'd done, she ran into the, other's, the other woman's room and switched out the babies. And she was like, my baby's alive. And so they went in the morning and they were explaining their situation to King Solomon. And, and one woman is saying, she, she smothered her baby and she has my son. I need him back. And, and the other lady goes, no, she's lying. That was her baby. And so King Solomon, in his wisdom, before DNA tests were even available, he's like figuring out science and stuff. He says, okay, what I want you to do is you guys are both laying claim on this one baby. I, I can't make two babies out of it, but I can give you two pieces cut the baby in half. And of course, the mom, in her great wisdom, and her love, and her compassion for her son, the real mom was like, no, no, just give it to her. Just give him to her. I wouldn't want to see my son cut in half. And Solomon, in his wisdom, without DNA tests, says, that's the real mom. And that was an example that the Bible gives of his, of us of his wisdom. But people came for miles and they brought tribute and, and, and they just realized that God had put a special heart and a special uh, gift of wisdom into him. But in, for all of his greatness and all of his cultural advancements, Solomon had one huge weakness. And that was woman, women. 
he, he decided to marry a few times, uh, like 700 of them. <laughs> you know, 700 weddings, that's a lot of cake. Um, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the Bible says that as he continued to marry foreign women, what they would do is, is they would bring in their gods. And they caused him to fall away from serving God for a time. And, and probably right up until the end of his death. Now Solomon, he is known for writing three books of the Bible. He's uh, he's right. He is known for um, also contributing at least one psalm. And this is an interesting thing that I found as I was studying. Uh, Jewish rabbis say that Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, brown chicken, brown cow, as a young man. If if you don't know what that is, that's all right. Uh, we'll keep moving. He wrote the Song of Solomon as a young man, Proverbs as a middle-aged man, and Ecclesiastes as an older man. And it's so neat because I can summarize the book of Ecclesiastes like this. It's like we were going back to college, and this is literally his research thesis on life. And that's what he did. It's uh, Ecclesiastes is the research findings of a man who lived the life of virtually every person in the world because what God allows Solomon to do in his research is to try everything out there. He was wealthy enough. He was capable because what he did was as he went out there looking for the meaning of life, he experienced all of it. He experienced fame, power, passion, laziness, fulfillment, pleasure, madness, sadness. He tried it all. He's like, you know what? Maybe I'll find fulfillment if I grow something. And so it wasn't like he went out and started a garden. No, he went out and planted forests, like whole forests. And then he's like, you know, maybe I should become a builder. And so you know what he did? He built a house for every single one of his wives. And then he says, well, you know, maybe it's partying that will bring me, bring me happiness. And so it wasn't like, you know, like poppers from the Dollar Tree. What it was was it was full on ragers where it wasn't like, you know, turn up the music, get, you know, get the sound bumping. He's like, no, that's the band right there. I hired ACDC. I bought them, you know, whatever it is. I, I, that was a weird reference. Okay. He's like, no, I got Lady Gaga jumping from my house, y'all. She's singing the national anthem. Whatever it is, that's what he could afford. He experienced everything. He said, I wanted to try it to where I didn't do anything. Maybe, maybe the meaning of life is doing nothing. And so he would literally walk around in his bathrobes all day waiting for his next massage. He's like, is this the meaning of life? No. You know, and, and he just went through everything. He tried sex. He tried money. He tried doing nothing. He tried doing everything. He tried, he tried uh, success. He tried it all. And in the end, what he realized that everything is meaningless under the sun. Everything under the sun is meaningless. It wasn't until he came to realize that it's things that are over the sun, things that are outside the temporary, things that are eternal, that are meaningful. Because he says it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says, God has put eternity into our hearts, meaning nothing temporary will satisfy. We can try to put anything in this world into our hearts, that God-shaped hole. Nothing's going to fit. Only God can satisfy. And I love the quote that C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis goes, clearly man has looked for everything in this world to fit, and he's found nothing that will fit. So obviously it has to be something that's outside of this world, 
that will make us happy. That's the realization that we need God. That's the realization that there is nothing that can satisfy. We sang that just a minute ago in the worship song, but Jesus Christ. And so here we are at the last chapter of his research paper, and he is giving us some amazing wisdom for life in regards to time. Let's check it out. We're in chapter 12, verse 1. Look at the first line. It says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Let me read that again. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. In nine words, Solomon sets the pace for a life lived for Jesus. In these nine words, Solomon sets the pace of a life lived for Jesus. Chapters 1 through 11 are his findings that no matter what he tried, nothing was satisfying and death was inevitable. Sounds like an awesome Hallmark card. But at chapter 12, here comes the twist. Because when he says, remember, what the word translated in the Hebrew means, it's not like daydreaming or reminiscing, like trying to think back on the good old days. Instead, it's an action word that literally means to act decisively. That's why when God says, I will remember you, he's not saying, you were always on my mind. Okay, that's the second country. We got one more coming. So, uh, sorry, Willie. Um, he's not saying, you're on my mind. He's not saying, like, you know, like the police, I'll be watching you. What he's saying is, I'm actively, purposely working on your side. And so what Solomon, in this encouragement from chapter 12, verse 1, is encouraging us to do, he is saying, act decisively or purposefully and radically towards God in the days when you are young. Act decisively and radically toward God in the days when you are young. Er, hold up, Pastor Josh. This is second service. You keep saying youth. This is not Wednesday night, and we didn't just play a game where someone had to eat a bunch of M&Ms with ketchup on them. We're not a bunch of spring chickens. And in fact, you just mentioned that you're on the downslope of your own hill. You're right. There are some young people in here, and there are some <clears throat> not so young. But the word still applies to all of us. And I have to ask you this morning, are you too young or are you too old to act decisively and radically toward God? No, of course not. You're here. You're here, and you're only as old as you feel. And each new day from God is a gift to do just that, to, to fulfill the purpose that he's given on this beautiful planet called Earth. And so how do we define that purpose? Solomon is going to get that, get to that in a moment. But we, before we move on, I want to point out to you that in these nine words from verse one, Solomon also gives us the two keys to effective use of time in a godly life. Two keys to the effective use of time in a godly life. He says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. The first key is godly directed urgency. Godly directed urgency. Remember now in the days of your youth while there is time. He's, he's using time as an urgency kind of thing. I was asking first service, I said, how many of us have ever listened to any financial planners like Dave Ramsey, anything like that? Okay, some of us, I'm, I'm getting old. I love listening to Dave Ramsey on the way into church. It's like, used to be music and headbanging and all that, and now it's talk radio. So that's just hashtag reality. Um, 
for most financial counselors and financial planners would tell you when it comes to wisely spending your money, you should carry cash and spend cash instead of putting things on a credit card. Because when you carry cash, you can watch it go out the door. And you say, hey, I want a Coke. Next thing you know, you have less of it. And you look and you're like, ah, you know, but you have a credit card. And you just go, swipe. And you don't even think about what it's spent on. And, and next thing you know, you can accumulate a lot of expenses because you're not watching what you're spending. Whereas with cash, it's like you're holding on to it with all your, your might because you're like, this is all I got for the week. You know, how many of, of us give ourselves like allowances for the week? That's a good practice, but we probably don't because, you know, we're not in high school and all that. So, um, guys, when we talk about money versus credit card, there's a reason I give that illustration because we need to see time like we would see that cash versus the credit card. I asked at the beginning of the sermon, I said, what would you do if you only had six months to live? You know, that creates a sense of urgency. Now, if I asked the same thing, I said, what would you do if you had 60 years to live? You know what just happened? All the urgency that you would feel to like go climb the Himalayas or, or, you know, to make sure that you married your sweetheart or, or spend all the time with your kids, all of that just went away. Because what Solomon is saying is now is the time. Now is the time. He's giving us godly directed urgency. The second key to effective usage of time is a priority. Godly priorities. Because right here, Solomon says, remember now your creator. He's putting things into perspective. Guys, as Christians, when we have our priorities out of whack, we have everything out of whack because we start operating within like, well, what's best for me? Well, what's best for this? You know, and sometimes we'll start putting our job first or sometimes we'll start putting our spouse first, which they might like for a minute, but in the end that really blows up because when we don't put God first and we're not putting in the work to make sure that our relationship is flowing the way that it needs to. And the next thing you know, when you put your spouse on a pedestal and they disappoint you, your whole world starts to fall apart. But what Solomon says is that we are to prioritize God. And when we put what matters most to God first in our lives, the result is that we're going to be productive for the Lord Jesus. And if you look through our priorities, we have God, our family, we have others, we have our job, we have ministry, and then everything else. Because we have to have Godly priorities, that's going to be the effective use of time. Let me ask you this. Is Facebook a priority? Is cell phones, are our social media becoming a priority? They are. It's scary. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that this isn't a time stealer because when this becomes a priority over our spouse or our kids, then there's something wrong. We're putting it in the wrong place. You know, I, I think of Angel and I will go out to dinner and we're not judging, but we kind of like we look on with sadness in our hearts of old people that are sitting there and they're sitting across from one another and they're both looking at their phones. And it's like, that's your that's your soulmate. That's the person you love. And, you're, you you know, we, we saw this guy and he brought his huge iPad. It looked like a newspaper as he was like and he kept holding it up, like blocking his wife. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, you know, because these things are going to be gone. But what's our priority you know, I think of people are starting to use this as a priority over driving. 
You know, I'm looking, uh, I was driving home from church on Wednesday night, and I watched people, and this girl is literally like this. Like, she's driving with like this. And I'm like, okay, honk, but don't like honk too close, because, uh, you know, and then I see she's like, oh, I'm going to straight away, so I'm going to use both hands. I'm like, whoa, you know. Guys, we have to have righteous priorities because they are going to help us effectively use our time that we have left on this earth. And so Solomon realized that his life is coming to an end. And what he does is he continues in chapter 12. It says, remember your creator now in the days, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Here's the truth. Solomon realized that there's something that happens to our bodies as we age. They break down. And as he goes, it's verses 2 through 6, he realizes that what used to work isn't going to. And so that's why his admonition is so important, that God has given each of us a gift. He's not done with you. And if you're here and you're young, this is super important for you. Don't think that you're indestructible and that you have all the time in the world. Because if you ask anyone older than you, they will testify that while high school might seem like it takes forever or college seems like it's going to be uh, years and years and years, it goes by faster and faster and faster. And then if you're here and you're older, it's even more important for us to cherish every day and use them to the fullest. And so going back to verse uh, verses 2 through 6, we're not going to cover them all just because of uh, sake of time, but it's really interesting. Solomon starts to talk about the breakdown of, of our body parts, like our arms and our legs and our hair. <laughs> you know, I'm sad about that. Uh, even more technical things like our lungs and our heart and our, our, our even our circulatory system and our brain. And uh, if you want to get a really good teaching about that, Pastor Ben taught in Ecclesiastes. I thought it was a few weeks ago, but that was like 10 years, so <laughs> it's been a while. Time flies, tempest fugit. Okay, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to, the, to God who gave it. What he's saying is we're all going to die. And this is where truth number three comes back into play. Our time is limited no matter what happens, if you run a marathon every day of your life, or if you eat pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no matter what happens, if unless we're taken in the rapture as believers, we are on a collision course with death because that's how God intended it. And let me tell you this morning, aging is a blessing. Getting older is a daily reminder that we are headed for eternity, that death is not the end of the road, but a bend in the road. That as you age and the things that never hurt before are now almost impossible to do and you have hair that used to grow in some places and are now growing out of other places you don't want, age is still a blessing. I was telling first service this, you know, it's, it's awesome that we're not eternal. And I, I, I use the illustration that when God... Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they become, they became aware and they'd sinned and sin was present in their lives, God was being gracious when he drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden because in the Garden of Eden still existed a tree called the Tree of Life. And so God ushered them out and he started, he put up a border around the Garden of Eden and he started protecting it because if Adam and Eve had been able to go back in and eat from the Tree of Life, we would have been alive eternal forever, eternally forever stuck in our sin. But by Jesus Christ, 
coming and living a sinless life and completing his rescue mission, culminating on the cross, resulting in his resurrection from the dead with victory over sin and death. Now, when we die, we are forever separated from sin and death. And we go on to that new man, that new body, that, that um, body 2.0, prototype 2.0 that Jesus displayed when he came back in resurrected form that can walk through walls, that can still eat, still fellowship, still show up, all of those things, but with no sin and no death. Can I get an amen to that? Awesome. So thank God this life is temporary. But that's why today we have to remember our Creator because there will never be a better time. Listen to this. This is something you don't want to miss. There will be a never, never be a better time for you to live, with, live for God with all your heart. Physically, we are going to fall apart. Spiritually, we can, through the power of God, establish our decision forever that we're going to live a life of urgency and priorities in Jesus. So verses 9 through 12, Solomon continues to close out his findings. He makes a few observations. He says, much like a good student, I want to communicate well. And then he realizes in verse 11, it says, the words of the wise are like goads. The words of a scholar are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. He realizes that when you have a good word, just like he does in the Proverbs, it pushes you along. And then the words of scholars are like well-driven nails. They drive the point home. But he says, given by one shepherd. He's referring to Jesus. And then in verse 12, he says, listen, much study is, it makes you tired. You know, there's always going to be people out there to write books. But in my findings, as I finish my thesis, as I come to an end of my life and a a close to my research paper on the meaning of life, let me give you verses 13 and 14, which are my findings. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is, is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you want to live a life that is filled with urgency and godly priorities, effectively using time to the best of our ability? That at the end of your life, you won't say, I've wasted it, or I wish I had done this, or I should have pursued this. This is our exhortation today. Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. When when is that? Today. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Act decisively toward God every day. And fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. You guys want to know something crazy? This kind of blew my mind. What are our core values for the church? Love God. Love people. Live radically. Did you know they're essentially right here in what Solomon is instructing us to do? When he says, fear God, the word there is yare. In the Hebrew, it means to revere, to hold in awe, to honor, to respect. And, and so we say, uh, fear God, love God, keep his, and then, so we have love God. And then he says, keep his commandments. Well, what does Jesus tell the lawyer that the, the most important commandments are? He says it in Mark chapter 12. He says, the first of all commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God. And this is the second. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
There is no greater commandments than these. Love God, love people. And then live radically is found in verse 14. It says, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Guys, to, to me, I used to read that with a little bit of fear in my heart. Because you know what? If we're honest, we all have things that if they were to be brought to light, if, if I was to have to be up here and, and they read every single sin I've ever committed, whether in, in open or in secret, I would be shamed. There are things that I have done that I am ashamed of. And I'm sure that's the same testimony that we'd all have. And so when Solomon wrote this, you're like, dang, that's, that's harsh. But guess what? We get to look at this verse through the lens of the New Testament and you know what happens to all our guilt and shame when we add the blood of Jesus to the mix? It melts away. It melts away. God says, wait, wait, wait. And like, God's like, okay, judgment. Josh Horsey, come on up. We're going to read all your sins. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, I got this one. So Jesus, read all your sin. Uh, let's see. None. Okay, next. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Guys, I'm a sinner. I'm a scum-sucking, I think that's what Pastor Ben, scum-sucking, filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. And if it were my righteousness that made a a decision on whether I got into heaven or not, every time, rejected, failed, pass him out, get rid of him, whatever it is. But when you put the righteousness of Jesus that he gives to us as we put our faith into him, accept it every single time in the eyes of the Father. Because Jesus is our lamb. Jesus is perfection. And so what we have the opportunity to do is that as God will bring every work into judgment, including every single thing, every secret thing, whether good or evil, we have the opportunity to love God, love people, and then live radically. Because how do we live? We live, as the book of Philippians tells us, we live by grace through faith, knowing that Jesus makes us clean and perfect, we live in a radically, outrageously loud life for Jesus that people can't help but hear. Guys, do you want to make whatever time we have left on this world count? I can't give you specifics. I can't be like, you've got to marry Jenny Lee and, and settle down in the country. I can't give you that. But God can give you the big picture, and, and he can give you the specifics. But from the pulpit today, I can tell you today that we are to remember our Creator in the days of our youth, act decisively towards Him, and then as we fear the Lord, honor Him, and love Him through that, as we love people, as we love one another, as we love ourselves, and we live radically, our lives are drastically going to change. We are going to use our time for the best of our abilities because we don't know how much time we have. I think about the farmers that were out there fighting those, those fires this week and how heartbreaking it is to see stories of a man who was, def- who was trying to, to protect his cattle dying in the fire. I guarantee you, at the start of the week, he didn't think this was his last days on earth. Or the man who was driving an Amarillo and, and his truck ended up getting stuck underneath the uh, overpass and it ended up blowing up a fuel truck and he died. Because, you know, it wasn't like he got out of bed and said this morning, this is my last day on earth. He thought he was going to have however many days left. And so, guys, we want to love God. We want to love people. We want to live radically. And we want to live lives of no regrets. 
We want to live with godly urgency and godly priorities because when we do that, we're not going to have anything to look back on and say, I wish I'd gone to the, you know, I wish I'd gone scuba diving or whatever it is. That's not going to matter. What's going to matter is we did what was important. We spent time with our families. We, we raised our kids. We left a legacy. Uh, money doesn't matter, things like that. What matters is what we leave. What matters is how we live and if we have Jesus. As we close, I want to borrow the philosophy of a couple different theologians, the first being uh, country artist Tim McGraw. If you remember, he went skydiving. In fact, he went Rocky Mountain climbing. He uh, spent 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and then it gets a little better. He, uh, he loved deeper, and he spoke sweeter, and he gave forgiveness to those he'd been denying. And, and the encouragement that he gives through that silly song is for us to live like we're dying. You know, and, and there, is a, there is a merit to that because it's, set, it's been said from the pulpit so many times that we should plan our lives like we're going to live for the next 100 years, but we should live our lives like God is coming back in the next 10 seconds. And that's how we have to live. We have to live with a life of no regrets. But I can't leave it there. I can't end with a country music uh, illustration that's terrible. So let me give you one that's a little bit deeper. Uh, Christian preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards who is widely acknowledged to be America's most important and uh, original philosophical theologian, theologian, wrote over 65 resolutions that he used to remind himself of his core values and his priorities in life. And I just want to share with you three of them uh, in regard to how we view our time and how we use it. Uh, uh, the first one I wanted to share is he said this, and I'll summarize it in a really uh, compact way. I don't want you guys to feel like, I can't take notes on all of that. So he said, I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to use it to the most profitable way I can. So uh, let's see. Um, Jonathan Edwards for dummies, he says, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste a second. And then he also said, I, re- I resolve to live each and every day at all times with the things of eternity always on my mind and my heart. And so the, the simplification of that is I'm not going to live for worldly things. I'm going to live for eternity. And then the last one is I resolve that I will live this life as I wish I had done when I come to die. He says, I want to live for God with no regrets. Believers, today we're not going to live, live a wasted life. We're not going to live with worldly distractions. Solomon already showed us that didn't work. And we're not going to live a life with regrets. No, we're going to live with godly urgency and godly priorities. And how do we do that? We love God with every part of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. And then we love others more than we love ourselves. And then the last thing is we live radically. We, we let our lives be so loud, the fact that we live for Jesus. We're not having to go around and be like, have you talked about, have I talked to you about Jesus? We're not having to be like that. We're not having to be Bible beaters or, or, or scripture pushers or whatever it is. But what we do is we live through our daily lives, whether it's our jobs or whether it's our school or whether it's our families, whatever it is, we live so loud for Jesus that they can't help but see God in us. They can't help but read scripture off the pages of our lives. I mentioned this first service, and we'll close with this. Um, you know, 
There's times where you as a believer, we have troubles, we have hardships, we have jobs that at times can be tough and your boss can come in and be like, you know, we didn't make the sales this quarter and, you know, and maybe they come in and they get on your team or whatever. I remember having that and and in my office and oftentimes after the boss would go out, we'd all get in that gossip circle and we'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they did that. That is so ridiculous. How can they expect that? You know what the believer can say is, all right, boss, we're going to do this. I'm going to pray. You know, you know what that does? That changes the atmosphere of the room. And maybe you're going to have others that are wanting to be dissident, but you're not going to be part of that. You're going to shine the light. Because, you know, I I said this first service and somebody said it really spoke to them. When we complain, that's the language of hell. But hope is the language of heaven. And so as we live radically lives for Jesus, we're going to press on to that upward call for the goal that is in Jesus Christ, until that time on this earth, until our time on earth comes to an end, where we hear those words that say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. It's like running a marathon in the Olympics. You know what happens when you run a marathon in the Olympics? They put the finish line in the stadium. And isn't that so cool? Isn't that a really good illustration for us running this Christian life? Because what happens is we're, we're, on a, we're on a long run. You know, this life is it's hard. It's full of ups and downs, and it's, it's a long, long, long run. But what happens is as we get near to the end of our run, as we finally get near to the end of our race, we enter that Olympic stadium. And that Olympic stadium for Christians is heaven. Because what we do is we enter that final few hundred feet, and everybody is going, yeah! Like they're just cheering their heads off because you have finished your race well. And what we hear God say at the end of our race is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Guys, my encouragement to you today in regards to time is live with godly urgency and godly priorities and then love people, or love God, love people, and live radically. It's simple. That's what's going to set our time effectively used. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning, God, and we thank you for the truth in your word. I pray, Lord, that, God, everything that was said from the pulpit, Lord, everything that was said, Lord, is pleasing to you, and anything that that wasn't pleasing to you, just let it be forgotten. But God, I know that you had something to say to each of us today. And, and Lord, we want to live effective lives for you, God. I know at the end of our days, we, won't, we don't want to get there and say, I've wasted it. And so help us, Lord, to live for you, God, with everything that we can. Oh, Jesus, we love you. And this morning, Lord, we worship you. And uh, we just thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for your marvelous word. And we thank you, God, that even in a, a book like Ecclesiastes, where you can find a lot of depressing things, there's, there's so much hope, God, and there's so much instruction for life. So we love you, Father. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Josh, I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone 
at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.